This podcast is brought to you by Media 8. Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, conversations from the front line, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host, Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. G'day guys and welcome to another episode of Off the Cuff with Kel. We're up to number eight and I'm so excited tonight that we've got the incredible Neil Milton from Child Safe Australia here with us. Hello Neil, how are you going? Hey, I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, guys. Um, so I'm a child safe champion. Very proud to be. And I've known Neil for quite some time now. So uh, I'm pretty excited to get into our conversation. But I am just going to drop it in there. We're probably going to be talking about some stuff that may be triggering. So if you are, um, uh, the content is is upsetting for you in any way. I do have some support numbers on my website, so I'd love you to jump on there um, or reach out if you need some assistance. So um, there, there's quite an extensive uh, amount of support groups there, guys. So um, yeah, so jumping right in, Neil. So thank you so much for being here. You've been busy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's always busy. It's great. <laughs> Um, guys, so Neil, uh, if, if you don't already know, is uh, passionate. He does a lot of work. Um, so Child Safe Australia does works with organisations and making sure that they're safe uh, for children and for vulnerable people in our communities. And um, they do fantastic work. So they're a not-for-profit as well. So they're always looking for donations. Um, I'll be sure to pop up a QR, QR code later. So make sure if... Uh, you're on board with that and you'd like to give some money to child safe that you're ready uh when i do pop that up um but yeah neil does like everything <laughs> he's a social <laughs> entrepreneur. um he he really has a heart to break cycles i think is probably the best way to say it and um does what he can in his way to sort of stop that from happening and he's a survivor as well which um, is how we've really connected at a real soul level, um, Neil. So I thank you um, always for being such a good support. <laughs> oh, look, it's a, it's an honour. It's an honour. Like I really believe in what you do, Kel, and and, and um, I love that you come on board as a champion, but also really love the fact that um, you know you're a huge advocate and you know you stand in the gap for people. And I'm really honoured to. To be on this uh, on this show, so we can talk about some real stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it, Neil. Thank you. Um, so, Neil, I, I want to start probably um, just to get everybody to know you a little bit more and a bit about your story, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us at all. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, I've got a I get a different type of story, if you like, from a lot of people. Um, I think, uh, and that is that I am a a child sexual abuse survivor uh particularly uh i guess it's different because the abuser was a child i was 10 years old and um this person befriended me um in secret and um no one even known that we were ever connected at all uh and uh we used to play a whole bunch of games and things like that as kids did at 10 years old and um, I'm not sure how it changed, but it very quickly changed into sexual behavior. And early on, I kind of went to someone that I trusted, um, an adult, and I just said, look, you know, is this what friendship is? Is this what you do? Like, this is what's happening. And they said, oh, no, you're just experimenting. And, um, and unfortunately, that, that abuse continued for another three years. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, and uh, and I guess the thing for me is that um, I didn't realise that it was abuse until I was 21 years old and I was having a conversation with this guy who was kind of wrestling with um, some stuff and, and I mentioned, you know, this friend and, and what happened with this friendship and he just sort of stopped me and said, hey, mate, you realise that's abuse, right? And I was like, no, 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 I went to a trusted adult and they sort of said, yeah, no, I'm just experimenting. And so I just kind of, 
that's that's the reality. What I didn't realize is that um, it took me back after sort of really realizing that it was abuse. I really started to reflect on the experience and I started to think about what had actually occurred. And um, I remember after it had stopped and he just sort of, you know, had his way and then left, if you like, um, use me, if you like, use and abuse, I think is probably the word best term. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting, sitting in my home, uh, sitting with an encyclopedia, right? A, an old style encyclopedia. I'm 44 years old. I know I look young. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, 44 years old. Um, and I remember sitting there at, at 13 and with a psychopedia and, um, it was just at the same time, uh, very similar time as Magic Johnson came out and said that he had AIDS. And, um, and so, uh, I looked up AIDS and realized that the behavior that we were doing and what was actually going on, um, and all the symptoms, well, I looked at all those symptoms and I thought I had every single one of them. Right. So I'm 13 years, old, 13 years old, sitting there in my home, knowing I can't talk to anyone about this. I obviously didn't have any trusted adults in my life that I could trust um, and talk about this. Sitting there with all this information going, how am I going to get through this? What do I do with this? And I don't know what happened because honestly, I pretty much blanked out from there. Like I just don't have a memory of, of how I got through that. I think I sort of reasoned myself. I, I questioned my sexuality. I, I did a whole bunch of things in my mind. And I realized that actually, no, I'm, I'm not gay. Um, and I've got these symptoms. What does that look like? And maybe there's not as many or I don't know. I'm not really sure what happened. But, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but I just, uh, I just kind of dealt with it, I guess. And, and what I mean by that is I just started living and I didn't know that I was abused like from 13 all the way to 21 so I I didn't realize that but in reflection what I didn't realize is that because that trusted adult didn't listen to me and take it seriously um, it actually set me on a trajectory in my whole life to try and get my voice heard and so career um, relationships everything and it was only about three or four years ago that I actually realized that my voice is valid no matter what and that I'm enough as a person, as a man, as a person, and that even though I've been abused, I'm still enough as a person and I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not too disgusting or anything like that, you know, like I haven't, I'm not too damaged to to um, to make a difference and to move forward and to be okay. And so I think it was about that time that I started really speaking up about my story. And um, I found that it really resonates, especially because it's a child on child, which we know now know it's projected to hit like half of all abuse is like mm. it's going to be child on child. So um, because of a number of different factors, but yeah. yeah. Wow, Neil. I and I've heard your story before. We've spoken before, but I've never heard it like that. I just, you've you've seemed to have done so much work uh, and introspection since we last spoke. And I just, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for sharing like that. I think that's so beautifully put. And I think um, for any men, particularly out there who are hearing, uh, I, I really think that'd be very powerful. So thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. Um, no I. Worries. It's interesting that you, you say this, and I'm, I'm literally just reading Shannon Malloy's uh, autobiography, and there's a lot of parallels in, in your story and his story that um, really align. I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to get him on here as well. So, um, you know, I, I, really, uh, I really feel for a lot of people who have struggled with peer-to-peer uh, child sexual abuse and not actually recognising that what has happened was abusive, yeah. harmful, or yeah. or not okay. And um, I know the work that you do with Child Save Australia is is bringing a lot of awareness to that. So you you've turned this this darkness into something really powerful, and I just think that's so cool. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, look, I, I need to you know confess something, and that is that um, just after I found out that I was abused. I actually started a journey of forgiveness and this is kind of the weird thing 
and this is what a lot of people go how do you do this yeah and uh and i i went on a journey of that and i i can say i 100 forgive that person right i do i forgive that person i don't really believe that a 10 year old or he was about 12 i don't really believe that he knew exactly what he was doing i believe that he was probably being abused by his grandpa i'm pretty sure that a lot i just just have a tweak in my head about that however what i've learned about forgiveness is that just because you forgive it doesn't mean you're not angry and it doesn't mean that you don't feel shame and it doesn't mean that you don't get flashbacks and it doesn't mean that you don't have disassociation sometimes and have to bring yourself back to the land where we are now it doesn't mean that all those different things right and um but it does mean i think i think from a mentally a mental capacity i think i've been able to um i guess not be impacted with mental health concerns or the physical impact if you like as much i think and forgiveness as i think and this is my story i believe that the forgiveness side of things has played a part in that and i'm not saying that was an easy process in fact that was very very difficult and i think i'm probably really only fully starting to move forward in dealing with it mm. in the last couple of years like even though i 21 i'm now for so 20 years on even after forgetting that person i reckon i'm just working for child safe australia seeing the absolute destruction of organizations um i think i think honestly i think i think that for me has probably prompted um the next layer of healing if you like and i just really believe that there is it's not just like oh you, you you even you you might forgive that person or whatever it is or you might start some some psychological work or whatever it is i think personally that there are layers to moving forward it's not just a i've been abused and i forgive or or I'm better now. I, I just don't know if we're ever fully better. Like I just, I'm not sure. I, I could, I'm happy to be corrected on that, but I just, I'm not sure. Um, and I'm not even sure if that's what it, what you're meant to be. You know, like whether it's meant to be getting better. I think it's it's that you just learn to live with what happened, and you're you're okay with yourself more than you are the circumstances. Does that make sense? Oh, a hundred percent. And it's interesting. There's so many things that you're saying that I'm just like, oh, that, that, that. It's just, it's so good. Like, um, I, I was on a, a recorded a podcast with someone last night, and we started. And he was interviewing me actually, and we started talking about forgiveness. And he asked me something about um, whether I had forgiven my perpetrator, and I actually couldn't really answer the question because I don't know. I hadn't haven't actually because what normally happens with me is I don't think about the stuff I'm ready to deal with. I just kind of like disassociate from it. Like you were talking about disassociation. Yeah, I just sure. kind of like, you know, I don't go there, but I know that I've forgiven myself. I've done a lot of work on me, but I'd love you to talk more about what that forgiveness has meant for you and what that looks like for you. Because I, I think for a lot of um men typically are very angry women too like any of us who've been through these experiences who they're like no nah, i'm not going to forgive i'm never going to forgive them and they just have to like hold on to this anger mm. uh, and bitterness mm. and 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 i guess like i'm just curious as to what your definition of forgiving that person means and what it looks like yeah look i think for me it means that uh that person doesn't have a hold on mm. me anymore like that I actually recognize this person abused me, but that that abuse doesn't have a hold on me. Like what he did, you know, you know, if he was in the street and he was bleeding out about to die, I wouldn't look at him and go, that person abused me. It would be like, I need to help that person. He's a human. However, I just want to make it very clear this is me sitting here right now right? but the reality is that i don't want to hang out with him you know what i mean like i, I don't want to i don't want to be around him i don't want to ever see him again i um i don't want to hear his voice it makes me sick thinking about it um and also i think and i think for me personally he was a child like i i think and i'm not saying that 
like that children don't know what they're doing, but I'm saying that I think in my maybe in my reasoning, maybe in my reflection, I just kind of feel like he was a kid. He was only, you know, 12 years old, you know, 11, 12 years old and uh, a lot more mature than I was. And I think, you know, he was being taught behaviours and I think he was, I think also he was wrestling with his own sexuality and he just used me to decide. Um, and, uh, you know, the school is massively at fault for introducing us and not patrolling the toilets and those, like, the, you know, they, they have a, a lot to play in that. Mm. Um, the organisation has a lot to play in that. So I think that's kind of where I've, where I've sort of reasoned with it. And I honestly, I don't remember a lot anymore. Like I remember parts, but there's a lot of, like I said, I don't know how it came from innocent games to him being naked on top of me. I don't get that. I don't understand how it switched so quickly and how I allowed that to happen. Um, I don't understand, you know, every single lunchtime being in the toilets and being naked in the to boys' toilets and things like that. I don't understand how it went from that to this. Like, I just don't get it. I, don't, I can't reason in my head how that actually happened. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a journey. Yeah, <laughs> a journey. I can imagine. Look, if I can put any insight on that, I think anyone with those types of behaviours, there's always a lot of grooming, as you know, that, that happens. Even a young person can groom another young person. And um, we mm. don't always kind of work out where that, that switchover happened, but it just happens and you're like, well, how did I get here? Um, mm. You know, and, and it's kind mm. of this whole confusion around that. And I think, Neil, it's, I mean, you. I was going to ask you this later, but I'm, I'm guessing this is a lot of the reason that you do Child Safe Australia, that you have this heart to make organisations accountable yeah. for making sure children are safe and, you know, having the right procedures in place. And, I, I mean, I, I've, I've gone further into the, your story with you just even in the first, well, not even 20 minutes of this podcast and we've had in all of our years, I feel like you've just exploded in your growth and your healing and uh, it's mm. just really powerful, Neil. It's awesome. It's really awesome. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, people ask me all the time and say, oh, you know, how'd you get into Charles of Australia? And to be honest with you, like I was working for a large NGO Felt like that wasn't the right thing, so I went. This this job came up, right? And um, and I thought, yeah, I can I can do this CEO kind of GM role, and um, I thought I'll give it a shot and things like that. But it wasn't until a year later into working for Charles Save Australia, I was in South Australia, um, I was in a hotel, and at three o'clock in the morning, I I bawled my eyes out and I gave my wife a call, and I said, honey, I need you to know that um that this Child Save Australia thing, like it's really hit home to me. It's reminded me, um, it's actually really reminded me of um, of my own story. And I just need you to, I need you to hear it. And so I began to pour out my heart to Kate, um, my wife and and uh, in tears at 3am in the morning and then realising that it took a year into this business to realise actually my story uh, could actually you know, I could actually, if I got a hold of, of being able to talk about it, it could actually really be an influence. And so now my focus in the business as not just leading the whole organisation, but it's actually been the chief advocate to actually get organisations to understand what they need to do to keep children safe. And what, I want to be really clear on this, right? The government says legislation, 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 child safe standards, national principles, all this sort of stuff. And this is what organisations are hearing. What I'm trying to bring them back to is this understanding that you need to start at a place of recognising the impact of trauma on children before compliance. And so what I mean by that is if a child is, is sexually abused, the reality is that, that it could be a life sentence. It could be a full stop on their brain development. It could be, you know, mental health disorders. It could be, you know, body... Uh, image issues it could be a whole bunch of different things right and uh, emotional relational a whole bunch of impact and when we understand that and we start at that point then therefore compliance is like a no-brainer right we just go yeah of course that's part of the process we've got a structure now of doing that rather than just oh yeah but you don't even need compliance if you understand the impact because you go i don't want to see a child ever 
to be abused ever in my life. And therefore I'm going to do everything I can to stop that. And so that's my voice. That's where my voice comes in because I can speak from a place of reality because I'm living that. I mean, one thing for me, I was sitting there with, um, with one of my staff members and yeah, he made a, he made a, a sound like it was just like a breathing sound. And then he used, he made a, a noise to his lips. Like he didn't know he was doing it, but right there, right at that moment, it took me back to um, when the, when this kid was abusing me behind me and I had to actually reason with myself and go, I am actually here on this earth right now. You know what I mean? Like I, I had a bit of a disassociation for a couple of minutes and go, hang on a sec. Like I just had to bring myself back. Um, and that takes a lot of um, hard work to get to that place. And someone once said, you know, when you're in that place, you should look from high above like a bird's eye view and go, what would you say to that person going through that? Yeah. And so for me, that's where I go now. I go, okay, if that happens, I go, okay, I'm here. I am here. Um, I'm on this earth. I'm okay. And so I know what it feels like from my perspective to be impacted by this trauma uh, long-term. And so therefore, if I can get that across to organisations, then maybe they'll just do just the bare minimum even to, to stop that happening, you know? And so that's what I'm talking about on podcasts and conferences and things like that because I feel like it's resonating now because people have forgotten the why they keep children safe rather than what they have to do. And so I want to bring back to the why and I guess that's the heart change that we're wanting to see get across. Oh, Neil, you've just grown so much. Like, I just want to give you the biggest hug. I just got goosebumps from just like you. I just, you've just turned into this, well, you're already a warrior, but holy hell, like you've just come so far. And I, I haven't had a good chat with you for, for uh, probably 18 months, two years, probably like, like this. I mean, we've chatted, but not like this. This is just, you've just, yeah. oh, wow, that's so fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, I totally agree. Uh, it's it's why I do what I do, and you're you're definitely right. Just to be reminding people why they do what they do, because you know myself, even working in the industries and with the stakeholders that I work in, we are so consumed by process and box ticking mm -hmm. and making sure we get it right, so we mm -hmm. don't miss something. That at the end of the day, we're kind of missing the most important thing, or you're kind of forgetting bits and pieces that are actually really important in the whole like flow of things or the process or the procedure that needs to happen. And um, often the, the yeah. kids are sort of like um, you're trying to bundle them all into a system, but everybody's different, right? You can't kind of like no child is the same. No child's needs are exactly the same. Yeah. And we have to really, uh, I think, tailor interventions very specifically for the child, like for the individual child. Um yeah, and, and, and then to reflect that back through the organisations, that's definitely really powerful. I'm looking forward. We're both speaking at the same conference in a, in a few months. So I'm, I'm looking forward to um, to hearing uh, what you've got to say, Neil. So it's very exciting. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, I did. I, I know you've you've got so many um, things, irons in the fire, I guess, uh, at the moment, and I know you've started a, a table talk project and I'd love you to talk about that because the, the, I, I titled this podcast Encouraging Conversations because Neil used to have a company um, only just stopped recently called Positive T-Shirts and it was about encouraging uh, conversation around suicide and those types of things and um, it, you know we all know how powerful conversations can be and how important but I find that for me particularly being a survivor I find it hard to have confronting conversations I find it hard to talk about what I need, um, to say when I'm not okay. Um, I can tell the rest of the world, but for the people that are close to me, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to upset anyone, you know, like, and so I kind of keep a lot of stuff to myself. Um, you've mm. kind of mastered the art, I think, of, of this encouraging conversations and, um, you know, you've got a story there and I'd love to pull some insight from, you know, You've, you've found courage in, in so many different parts of your life to speak up and, and to share and then to bring that into these projects that you've now got is is just so cool. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I had uh, positive T-shirts, which was a um, 
social enterprise where I gave all profits to preventing of suicide. And I kind of started that because when I was 20 years old, I, I witnessed someone suicide in front of me. Um, I was working in a shoe store in Adelaide and, um, and, uh, and someone suicided, jumped in front of our shop and, and died. And um, I was fucking horrific. I was 20 years old and, um, you know, it was just awful. And I had some counseling and things like that for that. And when I was in between jobs, um, I, uh, I thought about starting a social enterprise and just to start a conversation about topics that people don't want to talk about, like mental health and suicide. And so I started this clothing brand and, and within that process between 20 and maybe 35, I, I had six people, five or six people actually suicide in my life. And one of them was my cousin. And, um, and uh, as a gift to his, as a gift to his parents, I decided, I said to him, I'd like to, I'd be happy to do the funeral for him. And so I, um, I did the funeral. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And he got 300 of his mates. And, um, and I talked about mental health and the importance of actually talking about what's going on in your life rather than keeping it to yourself. That strength is actually talking about it rather than keeping it to yourself. That's, that's, that's weakness in some ways. And so, um, because when you, when you talk about it, you know, a problem shared is a problem owned in some ways, you know, and so we can actually get through it together. And so, Anyway, but we had positive t-shirts for a while and um, five, six years. And I, uh, I just did some research around um, whether it was really working, you know. In business, there's a lot of opportunities um, where you have to research and, and really ask the question, hard questions like, see, this is great and people love it, but is it really working? You know, is it really setting out the goal that you wanted? And my goal was to start a conversation to save a life, but I, I couldn't measure that. I couldn't measure how many people would stop me in the supermarket and say, where'd you get that talk out loud t-shirt? And, um, you know, what, what's that about? And they'd tell me their story or their, their child's story or, um, you know, about their journey of mental health or suicide prevention. And so we started researching around um, where people might be having these conversations and realised that over 90 families across Australia weren't talking about suicide at all. They weren't talking about mental health. They found it really difficult to talk to their kids because they didn't want to put anything in their heads. They didn't realize that most probably they'd heard about it before. Um, and uh, anyway, so long story short, um, we came up with, out of research, we came up with an idea that is about um, supporting families to have conversation around a dinner table. It's a, it's a social enterprise called the Table Talk Project. So tabletalkproject.org. And basically, what you do is uh, it's about uh, empowering people to have a voice, right? And I, it's interesting how stories are connected because um, about a year before I launched, I only launched um, a couple of months ago, a year before I launched it last year, I was actually sitting there with my leadership coach and my uh, strategic advisor and uh, we were talking about it. And um, and I started going on a journey about my own story and, and particularly around the fact that I didn't feel like I had a voice at the table at all. Um, we sat at the table to eat dinner, but no one ever talked. Um, you know, like I hated vegetables, but if I didn't eat vegetables, I'd get a smack because back in that day you did. And so I'd just sit there and, you know, and then I don't remember once having a conversation about anything deep. I don't remember once ever being asked about my day. I don't remember anything like that. And you know what? I couldn't trust anyone anyway. You know, it's just, it's just my journey. It's where I was at. And, um, and basically, uh, I realized as I started to research with, with some other people that were part of the team, we realized that that's actually a lot of people's story. They didn't feel like they had a voice at the table, you know, and, and it was seen and not heard. And so I was like, well, I don't want that experience for my kids. I've got three kids um, and I didn't want that experience for them. And so um, anyway, so we, we developed this tool that is effectively some structure around dinner, uh, which looks at entree, main and dessert. The entree is the food we eat and prepare and we provide the recipe. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the main is the conversation starter. We provide those conversation starters. And then the dessert is three questions. Did you feel listened to and heard? Um, uh, what attitude are you leaving the table with? And um, is there anything else you wish to share? And that's a really important question because what we find is a lot of kids, they struggle to um, really communicate straight away. You know, sometimes they're quite reflective and needing to actually do that. And so we, we, we encourage that once a week and the benefits are massive, like massive. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's been research out of Harvard, 20 years 
out of Harvard Research, um, out of Massachusetts, there's a, a huge a research institute out there that, that did research for 20 years around the importance of eating and the benefits of eating together as a family. And they are huge from, from uh, image-based um, abuse, reducing um, uh, eating disorders, uh, healthier eating, um, better uh, addiction for kids and, and understanding from that perspective, better vocabulary for children, uh, drug, drugs uh, and drug addiction, reducing all those different things. And um, the other part of the Table Took project is that we have a library and we provide all the resources for particular conversations or different conversations that you might be having. And a young person might say, hey, I'm, I am um, struggling with my sexuality or, or you know, what, their parents might feel that or hear that. They can go straight there onto our website, go to the library, and they will be able to have those conversations. The other part is is about the Tabletop Cafe, which is part of it as well. And basically, once every couple of months, we join together and uh, we eat together online and we have a conversation and we do the Tabletop project together. So it's about a set work, support network where we're building longer tables and smaller fences. So really, the whole premise of the Tabletop project is empowering or supporting families to have conversations around food and to make sure that everyone has a voice at the table. That's just so good, Neil. I love it. I think it's just one of those things like I've found that young people, they talk best to you when they're in the car. They can't escape, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I've yeah. found it's like one of the best ways to have a conversation. But, um, you know, everybody's got to eat, right? So it's a really good opportunity to get people yeah. together. And I just think that's fantastic. Um, so, uh, oh, look at the girls have got that up already. So there you go, guys, the tabletalkproject.org um, if you yeah. want to have a look at that. So, um, fantastic. So, Neil, that's awesome. I just um, I want to just ask you a couple of things um, uh, before we go any further, and that was um, around uh, your disclosure and who you were able to tell and that sort of stuff, if you could just um, elaborate a little bit on that. And, mm. and um, after that, just maybe some tips for, for men who haven't disclosed yet what they could maybe be considering, or anyone really, but specifically, um, obviously, like I don't get as many men on here as I'd like, so if there's male survivors out there who are listening who'd like to have a voice, let me know. Um, but, mm. yeah, just just I know it's very difficult for men and the um, Australian um, – child maltreatment study was was just released and I I felt quite appalled at the statistics but I also wasn't surprised at the same time uh, we, we've mm. known particularly working in this space for a long time that the stats were never accurate it's only ever what was reported but I feel like this is the most I guess closest reflection of what might be the reality but I'm still thinking that it's not the same for men. So it's actually one in three girls and one in five men or boys before the age of 15 are sexually abused. And, um, you know, I, I actually personally believe it's it's a lot more mm. men. I, I kind of do believe that one in three is probably about right for girls. Awful, I know. Um, but it's kind of what I see in, in, in my work and what I'm hearing but I'm interested in your perspective, Neil, what you think. Um... Mm. Yeah, look, I, when it comes to disclosure, I, uh, you know, um, when I did talk about it, uh, I made sure I talked about it with people I trusted. Um, but it took a while for me to get to a point where I could actually discuss it. Remember, I held on to it since I was 13 yeah, yeah, yeah. until 21. And I would never go back to that trusted adult again and talk about it because I still believe they'll give me the same answer. Because, you know, I think that's just how they grew up, you know. And uh, unfortunately, that is the reality. Um, and so I think the thing is what I would say, um, yeah, the people that I talk to about it is are people that I trust and people that I know that won't judge me, that will just listen and be there. I mean, I've had situations where I have actually told some people and, I just, just, just get over it, just move on. Oh, like, no. just, just keep going, you know? And, you know, that, uh, like, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but that shits me, man. Swear you know it. what I mean? Like, I just, I just, I just feel like uh, you just 
don't get it. And the other thing is as well is that like I hear disclosures like weekly, right? Like I hear them weekly, like maybe four or five sometimes a week. And I thank thank um, thank our company that we actually have EAP, uh, Employee Assistance Program, where we can talk to someone that um, is independent. And I think the thing for me is that um, is that you know I think if you don't if you're not a survivor and you hear a disclosure, the best thing that you can do is just listen and have empathy. You don't have to have sympathy because sympathy is actually really bad when it comes to this sort of thing. You need empathy. Empathy says, I can't understand what you're going through, but I'm willing to walk the journey with you, right? And, you know, and, and I've had people that I've spoken to that I thought that I could really trust and they haven't even like followed up with me and said, oh, you know, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, how are you going today? Like, are you, you doing okay? Or it's like, oh, they, you share it once and it's like all of a sudden it's like because you've shared it, therefore it's done, you know what I mean? And I think the thing is, I, I think there needs to be more compassion and empathy for survivors. And I think a lot of people don't speak up because one, there's so much shame attached to abuse. You know that. I mean, Kel, you've talked about that so many times. There's so much shame, even though you might feel enough, even though all that's like the reality is you can't escape shame from abuse because that abuser has tried to make you feel that way often, especially adult abusers. Um, and you try to make yourself feel that way as well. It's somehow a coping mechanism. We go, oh, well, we're disgusting or we're this or, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know. And and even though, you know, in our mind, we can't reason with that. And from an outside perspective, we go, no, nah, no, nah, you're not disgusting. You're lovely. You're amazing. Or, or you're a courageous person. No, nah, but I'm full of shame, like full of shame. And it's, it's, um, it's hard to, to reason with that. But I think the thing for me is that, yeah, if you're going to listen to someone or, or you get the privilege, and I'd say that you're a, you have a privilege if you listen to someone who shares and discloses. Mm. If, if you get that privilege, the best thing you can do is say thank you. Thank you for trusting me enough to share that with me. Like seriously, please, please um, listen and take that time to do that. And also not just say thank you, but acknowledge the fact that, gee, that must have, you must have had to be pretty brave to say that, hey, I just want you to know that I don't take that for granted and I want you to know I'm willing to be on that journey. And I think just acknowledging that is a very, very, very big thing. I think what I struggle with massively is I've got some trust issues, to be honest with you, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that's the impact for me. It, it, it's trust. And, and also the other thing is, is that I value friendship so much so I don't stuff around with people that don't give a shit anymore. You know what I mean? So if people don't want to talk real and be honest about who they are and just be, just be real and, and, and just get down to the nitty gritty, if you like, then like, to be honest with you, like I don't need extra baggage in my life. I just need people that I can reciprocate and they can reciprocate to me and we can be honest and real. And while we're sitting there having a drink, we're being real. While we're going for a drive, we're being real with each other. Hey, if you're having a shit day, tell me you're having a shit day. And I want you to know that I'm going to be there to listen, you know, that kind of thing. So I just think, you know, it's about time, particularly men, we've got real, actually real, because you know what? There's too many people asking about the weather, but there's not enough people talking about their mental health. And I think it's really important that we get honest and real with that. And when it comes to disclosure, then if you know if you you have the privilege to listen then just be compassionate and empathetic please yeah neil you just said so many nuggets in there that are just so good like um i 100 agree with everything you said i think i've probably said it in in many different ways not the way you just said it but it was that was just so good um and you're right i feel like I think it's possibly a bit of an Aussie thing too. We're sort of always like harden up princess, you know, like this whole tall poppy syndrome. As soon as you start to kind of stick your neck out, we're so quick to cut each other down. And I, I really hate that because there's a lot of people suffering at the moment. There's a lot of people really doing it tough. And, um, you know, the, the biggest thing I think survivors need is just that validation and to say, you know, what, I hear you and I, I see you in this yeah. and, 
but if you if you're going to say that you don't just say the words when you hear someone you you listen you listen and you mm. understand you try to understand or you say you know I, I i don't fully get what you where you're coming from but i'm you know like you said willing to walk the journey with you or i'm willing to try and try to understand if you can help me understand where you're coming from let me know how i can support you through this and um you know, I've I've, <laughs> I've had people so close to me, Neil, just say, "Why don't you just let this go already?" You know, I'm I'm sitting here doing this kind of stuff, and you know, sticking my neck out, and I and I I try so hard, like, to just keep going yeah. and just to keep showing up, and and I, I do that because I know that the minute that I stop, I'm I'm gonna fall apart, right? <laughs> so I just keep going and I keep digging in. But to other people, to to many in my close close-knit people they think that i just haven't let this go right it's not about that you know i do this obviously the same reason you do this i want to see change you know um but when they say that when people say things like you haven't let this go or why are you still going on about this or oh you already told me that i hate that you already told me about that i'm like yeah but i i'm i just need to talk more about it like i need to kind of you know but as Mm. soon as someone says Mm. that they're kind of dismissing your your need to to share more or to um you know there's just something more that you need from that conversation and um you're right i often talk to people about tribe and and being seen and heard and if those people in your life are not safe people so safe people meaning you know a husband or a wife or a, a you know even family like we've we've had familial abuse sometimes you know people haven't said anything and that abuser continues to pop up at barbecues and christmases and you know you have every right to say no i don't want to go or or to say you know i'm I'm not comfortable with this and and for the people in your life to listen to you right we don't need those toxic people in our life and it's very hard to put your foot down and say hey um you know this is not a good relationship for me or this is not okay for me and to cut those people out, like if they're not willing to be a safe person, they're not willing to listen and to be part of your your journey, they're not your people. Not no, your people. And and you're so right, Neil. And I, how just quickly, how do you how do you make those decisions for yourself? Because I know it's really hard. I've got a lot of women in my support group that really find it really difficult to cut those people out. And I know we've had these conversations before. I'm curious what decision-making process you go through to to yeah. decide that. Yeah, look, I, it's not that I won't give them the time of day. Like, you know, like it's not that I won't, you know, just hang out or whatever it is, but I quickly learn whether they want to be real or not, you know, and and I might just drop, drop something little, you know, just something little, not necessarily about surviving stuff, but like, hey, you know, like how's your mental health going? I go, whoa, well, yeah, good, man. Yeah, good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah no worries, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so hang on a sec, like, like, hang on a sec. See, here's the reality, right? and, the, and this goes to the answer to your question. Men particularly have grown up in a society where what I call the Dermot Brereton syndrome. Now, if Dermot Brereton is on, I don't mean this in a negative way, all right? But Dermot Brereton was, um, you know, uh, played with three broken ribs in a grand final of football. Now, all the men go, Flip, that's amazing, fantastic, awesome, right? The problem is, is that we walk around with three broken ribs all the time, you know, and what I mean by that is, it's not broken ribs. There's stuff going on mentally. There's stuff, but we play on. We just play on because that's what society's that's for. Right. The problem is, the reality is, is that we are, that's, that's killing people. Like, we've got a suicide rate, not in a day. And, and and over fifty percent of men like like wake up. You know we have to wake up. We have to help men to talk. We have to actually help them to talk about what's going on and give them the tools to be able to do that. It is not weak to speak. You know um, it is not, and um, it is so important that we actually do talk about it. And so for me, I'm real with people. I am who I am. There's no mask anymore. Do you know that vulnerability, right? Vulnerability is actually a term that is used in battle. And what I mean by that is in the olden days, you used to have uh, an armor on the front and on the back, right? Breastplate and a backplate and all that sort of stuff. And you go in with your spear and your swords and you go into battle, right? And people would try to pierce you and they couldn't pierce you, right? Vulnerability is actually going into life without armor on. 
It's actually going, you know what? If the people that I want to be real with, I don't need to have an armor on. And I'm open to people attacking me or hurting me or whatever it is or saying things or whatever it is. Like that's what true vulnerability is, is you're open to be attacked, but you're not going to be because the people around you are going to make sure that you're not and you're going to be okay. And I think that's the thing is that we need to get vulnerable. Men need to get vulnerable and real. And the only way we can do that is teach them and educate them. So when I, when I talk with my friends, like people are freaked out by the fact that I actually ask them how their mental health is. I don't really get asked that question mm. ever. No one ever asked me, oh, so Neil, how's your mental health going? Now, I'm feeling pretty good to be honest with you, but on that day, I might be feeling pretty bad, you know? Um, they don't know what's going on. And you know, the number one thing that people tell me of people that have suicide, I never knew that it was this bad. I never knew that they were going through that much pain. I never knew about those things. And I think the thing is that um, the truth is you probably didn't because often we don't really go deep enough to actually find out what's really going on. It's so good, Neil. You just said so many bloody good things this is so good i'm like oh my god there's, there's so much good content in this it's just amazing like I, I just love that whole concept of the armor thing because you're right like we do being vulnerable is so brave it is really brave and you don't always know what you're going to get and we kind of expect to get kind of ribbed now and like you know teased or something to happen but you know to be vulnerable really does take courage um but yeah, we, we do need to help our men to have better conversations. So um, maybe just have you got any quick tips? We've got a couple of questions to answer before we finish up. But um, just just to help our, our men, the men in our lives to have better conversations, um, you know, what, what words of encouragement or tips would you have to, to you know, help that process? Well, I think you need to choose wisely. You need to choose wisely of who you're going to open up to because you're putting yourself out there, right? But there needs to be a culture that is in your friendship group where if you have a drink, that's fine. Um, but make it a drink in a conversation where you actually say, hey, um, look, tonight I just want to know how you're really doing. And I, I don't want good. Like, I know you're not good. So how about you... Tell me what's really going on and I'll be a person that can listen to you. Now, when I've done that, I've found that, you know, it's a bit scary to be honest with you because you really don't know. Um, but if you've got a good enough friendship with someone, then it's you're able to ask those tougher questions. And I think people appreciate it. You know, in mental health first aid, it's one of the first things that they talk about saying, you know, they, you listen to someone and then you say, um, you know, if they are projecting things that are uh, that maybe are a bit uh, scary, if you like, about themselves, or they might be giving you cues like, "I'm just going to sell up everything." Hey, look, you know, thanks for your friendship. I love you heaps, and you know, I'm, I'm leaving my job, by the way, and also my marriage. You know, like a number of different things. You might say, "Hey, look, I just want to be really honest with you, mate. Are you doing all right? Because you don't seem all right." And they might talk a little bit, and then they might say. And then you might actually say, hey, have you thought about suicide? I know it's a bold question, but you know what? I'd rather ask the question than, than stand there at a funeral, to be honest with you. I would prefer to ask that question. So I guess getting alongside people, being real and honest, being willing to journey people for who they are and, um, and not being afraid to ask the tough questions that is what you're actually seeing in front of you and maybe what's not just in front of you but a little bit deeper than that. Mm, it's so interesting you say that and I, I I have done the mental health first aid training and it's brilliant for that, just some of those tips that you've just given. But it is so important because people aren't really willing to ask those questions. You're right. Like they kind of shy away thinking, gosh, I don't want to, you know, say something to make them more upset or anything like that. And I, I think it's so important to, ha to have that conversation because I, you're right, I, it, it doesn't happen anymore. We don't we don't want to kind of upset each other, particularly like our partners even. We don't even, we don't do that. We don't, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to mm. piss the other person off or, 
you know, so we sometimes <laughs> leave a lot of things unsaid and, um, yeah, you know, you've given me a lot to think about even Neil. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's good. Well, on the website, um, the Table Talk project, you can click on news and um, there's actually a blog on there, how to get men to talk around the dinner table. So have a look at that. Oh, that's awesome. Actually, while we're on it, um, guys, I'm just going to pop up that QR code. So for uh, Child Safe Australia, um, and while we're doing that now, I think one of the questions is what Child Safe Australia does for organisations. So did you want to jump into that while we leave that um, leave that QR code? Yeah, so sure. just tell us a little bit about what um, Child Safe does. Sure, yeah. So Child Safe is a not-for-profit harm prevention charity. Uh, we work with organisations to prevent harm to children. And how we do that is, is because there's child safe standards, because there's a culture they need to develop around creating child safety, what we do is we create resources and support for organisations to not just meet the legislative requirements, but to create the culture that children deserve. And as I said before, I focus massively on helping them understand the impact of trauma and then um, before compliance. And so helping them to understand the why before the what. So Child Safe Australia has been around for over 15 years, 16 years actually, and uh, we've created safer environments for over 330,000 kids. And that's a pretty modest number really, that's just the, the auditable number that we can kind of say, um, because that's organisations that are being part of us and, and have the children in their care. And so prevention is a really hard topic. How do you know how many kids you've really saved their life? You don't know, right? But we know that when organisations are partnering with us and using our tools and services and being supported and those sort of things, uh, you know, lives can change and, and we're seeing that. One initiative that we're going to be um, launching pretty soon is a new book. Um, we partnered with Janine Sanders called My Body, What I Say Goes. Uh, we've actually partnered with an Indigenous artist and um, we're actually launching that into a whole bunch of different schools uh, to help young children, particularly Indigenous children, to understand what the five body safety rules are, how important it is to understand um, this is my body, what I say goes, the body parts and and um, and uh, a safety network and those sorts of things so that they can actually protect themselves as well. And the educators in the schools do that educating for them. And it's an amazingly beautifully illustrated book. Um, and we, we, we raised a bunch of money for that um, uh, so that we could actually buy those books and then give them to uh, schools for free who do our training within that and so you know that's the sort of stuff that we do um, and also we partner with different sporting clubs and associations in order to further a cause uh, to make the big difference and and um, and I guess for me personally I'm that chief advocate so I'm in those spaces like the disability sector and the early learning sector and those sorts of places to um, try and create change and real change not just like tokenistic change. Mm, thank you, Neil. Thank you for that. Um, so we'll just jump into a couple of questions. We've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, uh, so the first one is, did you think you forgave your perpetrator because he was a child at the time rather than an adult? I think you might have covered that. But... Yeah, I think I think that was part of the reasoning, I think. Um, but maybe it wasn't. I don't, I'm not really sure. It was a long time ago. Um, but I think I, think I just realised that... Um, I can't hold on to what he did to me um, and allow it to uh, grab hold of me any longer, you know. Um, it shaped so much of my life and I didn't realise it until I started with Child Save Australia. So it's a bit of a catch-22 in some ways, working for Child Save Australia, like you have to deal with your own stuff as well. It's kind of, it's hard. But, um, but I think, yeah, when, when they were, uh, being a child, I really don't, I, I I really don't believe they fully knew what they were doing. That's what I think. I think he was, he was really trying to work out his own sexuality and he used me as a pawn. And because I was vulnerable, I had no friends. I was the person that you would choose last unless it was sport because um, I was good at sport. But I would be the guy that would never get picked in class and they would know that. And, and often groomers do. They, they know um, who to pick the vulnerable because the reality is that... Um, they can often do what they want because they're seeking love and affection. And I think I was probably keen to have a friendship, you know, because I'd never had one and people would pay me out and I was bullied and those sort of things. So I think when someone showed me affection, I, I kind of wanted to, to engage with that. And, and that was something that um, I did. And, but I, I'm not sure that he really knew exactly what he was mm. doing, um, being only 12 years old. 
Yeah, it's interesting, and I'd love to maybe in a separate podcast to chat more about that because I, I often believe that, you know, it's particular in the love languages and stuff like that is, is when we're not getting that, that particular need. Perpetrators are so good that they pick up on those needs and then they actually will exploit children based on yep. that deficiency that that child, like, you know, if it's physical touch, if, if a child really craves physical touch, Perpetrators somehow like know this and they, they exploit it and they yep. find a way to build mm. a connection with the child using the language that they 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 need to to feel that connection and to build that like you know rapport and all that sort of stuff. So I think you might be someone who can talk quite well to that. Mm. So um yeah, yeah but sure. it, it is such mm. a big there's there's so much to unpack in all of this and you've put you've given us so much to think about tonight. Um I think um, you've probably answered even the last of these questions here too. So um, it's probably if we, we, we stop there, um, otherwise we can talk probably for hours and hours about so many different things tonight. But um, just a couple of things. So, guys, that Table Talk Project uh, website, again, will just pop on up on the screen. Uh, it's the tabletalkproject.org. So if you're keen, jump on that. Um, if you wanted to make a donation to Child Safe Australia, I'll just pop that up real quick again. Um, guys, they do fantastic work in making sure that children are safe in like yeah, sporting clubs and social groups um, and, and really building a framework for organisations to keep kids safe. So um, any help that you can give them would be fantastic. Um, thank you so much, Neil, for um, being here tonight. Like you have just shared and grown astronomically and, and just shared so powerfully. And I'm just so proud of you and I'm so grateful to you for um, being on here tonight and just how far you've come in such a short time, really. Like you just, wow. Goosebumps, yeah. Neil. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm great. I'm grateful to, to be on here and I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, yeah, the impact of this, of this chat and if there's anything that people can take away from it um you know just know that you're really loved and you you um you're enough as you are and uh if you're a survivor on here you know please please make sure you tell someone like don't live till you're 80 90 years old and then say oh by the way i'm a survivor like tell someone work through it and um i'm really proud of you i'm cheering you on yeah there's so I think a lot of um, survivors struggle so much because they just don't think it gets better for them, and yeah, it, it, it does. It really does. It takes a lot of work, but you've got two people sitting mm. in front of you who've done a lot of work and have found a lot of joy in life and people in life that, um, you know, are just amazing. There's amazing things out there for you, and, you know, Neil is very open. I'm very open. So if you need anything, just reach out to us. Um, and, and guys, just for the, for the purpose of this off the cuff with Kel, the reason that we do this, the reason that this podcast exists is to have these conversations, to bring hope, to bring healing, mm. to bring different people on board so that um, you can kind of find yourself in our stories. And, you know, we know we're not alone. Um, for a long time, I thought mm. I was until I started to talk about it. And I realized, well, holy hell, there's so many of us. And Neil, I'm sure yeah, it's the same for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's important for us to be able to talk about what's going on. I think, you know, you know, a voice gives voice to a voice, if you like, you know. And so if you're able to speak up, then the truth is someone listening might then have the courage to speak up and then that person might have the courage, et cetera. And, and I, I guess that's, that's maybe why um, I've been able to build that courage to be able to speak up. And so that other people can have that courage also. Mm. You know what, if this, if this conversation impacts one person, then it's a win, right? Absolutely. And, um, and I think our stories, if we're able to speak up, uh, the reality is that, um, that it could really help someone and might even save their life. Because there could be someone that is just right there going, you know what, I, just, I can't get through this by myself. You know, I've been holding on to this so long. I need to talk about it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Neil. Um, and thank you guys um, for being part of the live show. If you're here listening, uh, for your questions, your comments, your feedback, please, if you're listening, just make sure you drop in a comment, let us know you're here. Um, and we just absolutely appreciate you being a part of this. If you would like to support this work, guys, I have a Patreon account. Um, 
it's www.patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys and your support will actually help me continue to do these live shows. So um, if you can, I would love you to do that uh, and, and be part of the Off The Cuff with Kelly membership group. Um, all right, guys. So we'll see you in probably two weeks time. Thank you again, Neil. And thank you guys for being part of the audience. See you next time. Thanks, Keith. Thank you so much for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together. Your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, Unscathed Beauty. If you found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.